Hey guys, wanted to invite you to the Awaken Conference, Memorial Day weekend, May 23rd through 25th in 2020. We are bringing it back. Thousands of young adults are gonna gather in this city, Dallas, Texas, to be a part of a weekend where we awaken to the movement you were made for, which is the church. To be a part of that weekend, to find out all that'll be involved, you can go to awaken.live and sign up. You don't wanna miss it and we hope to see you there. Welcome friends here, Fort Worth, El Paso, Phoenix, Fayetteville, uh, Philadelphia, wherever you are joining and tuning in from, Nashville, we are kicking off a new series, Rated R for Romance, looking and exploring love, dating, relationships, and looking specifically at the uh, Song of Solomon. What would you say is the greatest love song of our era? Oh, maybe, okay. <laughs> In this room, we're probably divided about some. There's probably some classics that make the list, like this oldie but goodie from T-Swift. Love story, such a classic. Or maybe you, like me, can bring it back to high school and you're like, dude, this was just the jam back then. Hit that falsetto, Usher, come on. <laughs> but I think without question, the greatest love song of our generation or of just like this era that we're living in has got to be this by your girl Whitney. Falsetto coming from the audience, man. Oh, dude, what is it with that song? It almost makes you emotional in here. If you're dating, you're welcome. Uh, the reason I start there is because tonight, we are starting a series where we are looking at a song that the Bible calls the greatest love song of all time, the Song of Solomon. And for the next six weeks, we're gonna explore just the relationship that this song that Solomon, who wrote in 1 Kings chapter 4, we're told that Solomon, who was a king in ancient Israel, lived 3,000 years ago. So some of this literature we're about to study will be the oldest literature you maybe have ever read. And Solomon wrote a ton of thong songs. Not thongs. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't write a ton of thongs. But he did write a ton of songs. And this one, he said, was the greatest of all of them. Get your Yeah, rated R, man. It is rated R for romance, okay? And so we're gonna explore. So here's what you need to know about uh, this song. It's never been, I, I don't know that it's ever been more needed and more relevant. We live in a culture that both loves love and is really bad at love. Everyone loves it. You know, there's a reason why The Bachelor is the most successful show like on ABC year after year. <laughs> wow, this room. And yet at the same time, we live in a culture that the divorce rate is 50%, where no one seems to be able to, or many people, though they fall in love, they don't seem to be able to stay in love. There's kind of bad example after bad example that we're given from Hollywood and just uh, the most notable names are people who fell in love but they couldn't stay in love. We're given bad example after bad example, including many of the bachelor. You look around and trending over the weekend is Miley Cyrus leaves a, her uh, bisexual relationship with a girl. She just had divorced her husband. We just are given one bad picture of what it looks like to have love and romance after another. And uh, even the ones that we would all be like, oh, they're so beautiful, it must be amazing. The Brad and Angelina, they end up falling apart. And so, so many different bad examples are given, and it would be awesome if there was a great example. And the good news is that God, who's there, loves romance. He created it, he loves sex, he created it, and he intended it to be a part of just his incredible design for human relationships, specifically in the context of marriage. And he gives us this amazing, beautiful picture in the Song of Songs. And it showcases what a uh, romantic relationship should look like, really from the chase to the wedding, 
to the rest of their life together. It's a, it's a book that, honestly, as we're gonna go through it, you're gonna be like, dude, I cannot believe this is in the Bible. It, it is a book that uh, young Hebrew boys or just Hebrew men and women were not able to read until they were either married or 30 years old because it was so erotic and sexual in its nature and content. They're gonna make love two times in this book. They're, they are including types of sexual expression towards one another that, dude, you do not wanna read with your mom sitting next to you. You're like, I cannot believe this is in there. And so we're gonna explore what God has to say because God, that one of the greatest lies that people are told is that God is against sex. God created sex. He is all about it. And he wants you and I to experience his design for sex in the context of marriage and have a romance like so few people ever begin to experience or ever really experience inside of their life. So we're gonna look at this book for the next handful of weeks. Here's what you need to know about the book. It is Hebrew poetry. In other words, it was a song and it, uh, in the original Hebrew language, which is what it was written in and translated to English, it was a song that rhymed together. So a lot of the things you, you almost miss out on, so we'll try to highlight some of those because it was just like a song. It had moments where it rhymed and flowed together. And in the song, it has three different characters. It has a man, a woman, and her friends. It has a man who speaks about 30% of the time, a woman who speaks about 55% of the time, feels normal, and then her friends, because it's like, man, if you're gonna be my lover, you gotta go with my friends. And that's what we're gonna trace and see as we explore this book together. And uh, tonight, we're gonna look at the chase. What do I mean by the chase? I mean those kind of initial stages in dating where the book starts off. I don't know if you are in the middle of a chase right now, if you are like I haven't had anyone chasing me in years or ever, or you are uh, someone who probably needs to stop chasing, because they said no, but it's applicable <laughs> to all of us, because at some point, that initial stage of relationship is gonna be a part of your life. And what does it look like to successfully navigate those waters together? Most of you will be married in the next decade, statistically. It's not a guarantee, I'm not making promises, but statistically, the majority of you in the years that you're a part of are gonna decide who is gonna be your spouse. And next to who is gonna be the God that you worship, who is going to be the person you marry is one of the most important decisions that you can make. And so if we're gonna do so and have the opportunity to learn from what God says, this is who you should look for, this is how you should handle the chase, what a tragedy it would be to not take advantage of that and to learn from Miley Cyrus versus the God of the universe. So in this book, we're gonna go through the chase, dating and engagement, the wedding night and sex, Conflict, how to stay in love after you fall in love, and kind of a till death do us part, continuing to move together and marriage together. So tonight, I'm gonna read the verses that we'll cover from this first chapter. There's a lot of Bible we're about to cover, a chapter and six verses total. So if you didn't get a quiet time in, you're about to get it in right now. Here we go. We're gonna start in verse two. After verse one, he says, the song of songs, Solomon's song. And it immediately launches into her. She's the first one speaking. Let him, talking about her boo, kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of his perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you, let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. The friends jump in, they say, we rejoice and delight in you, you too. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Her speaking, dark am I, talking about her skin complexion, yet I'm lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, which is just this kind of tribe that made these dark tents, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I've been darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of, my, of the vineyards, and my own vineyards I had to neglect. So she's just, in that culture, it would have been attractive, unlike in our culture where it is like everyone is trying to get tan. In that culture, everyone was trying to not be tan because it showed that you were out working in the fields a lot if you were dark, it showed you were a commoner. So she's basically saying like, man, she's got this humble insecurity about the way that she looks, but she also knows that she's lovely. Uh, verse seven, she speaks to him. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flocks and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flocks of your friends? He speaks and responds in a, flirty, almost playful way. If you don't know most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your goats, your young goats, by the tents of his shepherds. You know exactly where I am, lady. You come and get me. <laughs> Verse nine, he speaks. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. I'm gonna come back to that because he's not just saying, girl, you like a horse. 
Your cheeks are beautiful and your earrings, your neck with strings of jewels will make earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume, she speaking, spread its fragrance. My beloved is like a sachet that's just kind of like a necklace with a sack on it of myrrh, that's perfume that would have been in there, resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful are you, my darling, he says. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Doves could only focus on one thing at a time. So he's not saying you have birdie little eyes. He's saying you only have eyes for me. How handsome are you, my beloved. Oh, how charming, she says to him. Our bed is verdant or green, as in of grass. And the beams of our house are cedars, rafters and firs. Talking about the kind con- outside in the park, if you will, having a conversation. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. He says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among young women. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit will be sweet to my taste. Let him lead me into the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Beautiful. Strengthen me with raisins, she says. Refresh me with apples. Those are aphrodisiacs. For I am faint with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, she then turns and talks to her friends. That's just she's getting all hot and bothered. <laughs> I charge you by the gazelles and does of the field. Do not arouse or waken love till it's so desires. What I want to cover tonight as it relates to the chase is I would call red flags in romance. I want to look at some of the characteristics that mark this couple's relationships, and there are five red flags that if they do not mark your relationship, or if the things that we're going to cover are absent from your relationship, you should be concerned. And as you navigate the waters of, of a relationship someday, because maybe you're like, man, I'm single, and uh, I'm, I have no way to apply this right now, in some context, in some future day, you may enter into a relationship, and you need to know, hey, these are red flags I should really be concerned about. Consistent red flags all throughout the scripture, the Bible says, but tonight we're gonna see it as we look at some of the characteristics that marks their relationship, and if they're absent from yours, you should be concerned. So red flags in dating. The first red flag that I wanna highlight comes from the first couple verses that she said, and it's that you should have a red flag if what attracts you to them does not include their character. If what attracts you to them does not include their character, or when their character is not what attracts you to them. Red flag number one, why do I say that? She basically, the first verse, it says, hey, let him kiss me. Another translation says, kiss me, and kiss me, and kiss me again. That she's basically going like, dude, this is a guy, I want him to lay one on me right now. And if you read that, you're going, what has possibly got her so in the mood? And she says, here's why. My man, verse three, is pleasing in his fragrance and perfumes. But he says, but his name or his reputation, the person that he is, is like perfume poured out. In the original Hebrew, it actually all rhymes together, but she basically says like, dude, this brother smells good, but even better than how he smells on the outside is the type of person he is on the inside. His reputation, his name is like uh, the highest and greatest perfume that there could be. It's of incredible value. What attracts her most to him was not his outside appearance, but his character, his reputation, who he was as a person. And this drove her to go, man, that, that is someone that I want to be in a relationship with. Is what attracts you to the person that you're dating, their character, like who they are, their relationship with Jesus, their ability to be trustworthy, like the person, not just how they look on the outside, but are you attracted to, can you with integrity, like if you're dating someone right now, like is part of what attracts you, and I'm not saying like physical attraction, dude, I hope you're madly in love and madly attracted on the outside of what they look like. But if you don't have a character that you're also attracted to, you are attracted to something that is fleeting, declining, and the Bible says deceiving. It's going away, the character's gonna be there. And so if you do not have someone, or if the character of the person that you're dating in a relationship is not attractive to you, you should be concerned is what attracts you to them, their love for people, the way they treat people, the way they use their time, the words that they say, the way they keep their word or promises. Do they seem like someone who's gonna be a good mom or a good dad? Someone that you want your daughters to be like someday. Someone who you want your sons to be like someday is what attracts you to them, your character. Girls, 
The Bible says that a man is supposed to lead you in marriage. And if you're gonna allow somebody to lead you in a relationship, in your marriage, I cannot stress enough, you need to be asking, who is leading him? If you're gonna allow him to lead your life, he's gonna lead the direction of your family, lead your children someday, asking the question, like, is he being led by himself, by his own desires, by like his future work preferences and kind of his dream for his life, or is he led by the spirit of God and the word of God? And, and the same I would say to guys. Guys, if you're gonna ask a girl and you wanna know, like, is this a girl who's gonna be like, dude, she's just gonna wear me thin. I cannot stress this so important. There's so many beautiful women who guys go in and they're like, oh man, they're just, look at her, this is amazing. We're gonna have this amazing sex someday. And they get in and the wife is nagging. She doesn't love them. She doesn't love Jesus. She's selfish. She ends up just uh, doing anything but pursuing God's best. And they're just really hot. And that honeymoon sex, it faded away and now the relationship and romance is cold. You need to be asking, hey, this is a woman that I wanna covenant my life with. Can she follow me? How do I know if she can follow me? Is she following Jesus right now? And so the way that you can determine, like, is this someone who has character in their life? Is like, hey, what if they're a guy? What is leading him? What's directing his life? Is he a part of a church and committed underneath the authority of elders? Because that's what the Spirit of God in the Bible says it leads men to do. Is she being led to spend time caring for other people? Does she serve with her gifts? That's what someone who follows Jesus is gonna do. What is the character of the person that you're dating? And if they are not someone who is following Jesus, focusing on the relationship with them, where character, who they are as a person, is what jumps out and attracts you to them, you should be concerned. This is so huge, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to say this as gently as I can. Bad character attracts bad character. And good character attracts good character. In other words, they, they find each other. Like if you're, and, and so bear with me, if you are in a place where you're like, dude, I've just been in one dysfunctional relationship after the next, all men are pigs, can't believe these guys, they're just a bunch of jerks out there, this is just what they are, and I've, I've just had like seven messed up jerk guys take advantage of me, it's just what guys do. Who's the common denominator in all of those relationships? you or they're hot but it's you like if you're dysfunctional like I've said before my wife is a counselor she'll always just say like man the level of dysfunctionalness in a person it's like the uh, other person will find that same person of dysfunction the best way that you can set yourself up to have the type of marriage and to find the type of spouse that you want is to focus on your character because the opposite is true. Like someone of good character who's following Jesus, who cares about the things God cares about, they're not gonna date someone who has bad character. You know that, right? Like, in other words, if you're like, man, what the Bible says, when it lays out, like this is what a godly husband should be. He should lay his wife life down for, the, for his wife and serve her and care for her and, and spend times with his kids and, and sacrifice all of his desires to care for the needs of his family. That's a really mature character man. And the best way that you can focus on making sure that you move in the direction of having that type of man in your life, and it's not guaranteed, but the best way that you can move in that direction is by being that type of, or being the type of person that that man is looking for. Because a man of incredible character is not gonna be like, oh, you know what, you know, she's, she's out, she's probably gonna sleep around, she's got kind of this side addiction or she drinks a little too much, but dude, she is smoking hot. That's not a man of character. And so the best thing you can do right now is focus on working on your relationship with Jesus, not focusing on dating. Some of you may need to break up and just say, I'm gonna go to Regen, I'm gonna work on my character. I wanna develop and become the type of person that God wants me to be. And I'm gonna set myself up, hopefully, to find a spouse that has that same vision, shares those same values and character, which lasts far longer than the physical characteristics that I see today that are gonna be gone tomorrow. I had a friend recently call and they were sharing about a relationship that they had just formed. They had not been walking with, with Jesus um, for really any amount of time and, and, uh, and really kind of in general. They'd just kind of been in and out. They'd been in some rehab and God's grace is big enough and bigger than all of that stuff but, but just had just been a mess and they called and, and they were like, hey, got this new girl. She, she, you're gonna love her. She's a church girl, you know, loves Jesus, Christian. It's been great. 
We're going to church together, living together. And my, my biggest red flag was like, man, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that she is following Jesus because she's dating you. And if she was following Jesus, she would be dating someone who's following Jesus. And you're not following Jesus right now. And so my biggest flag and biggest concern about her is that she's dating you. And you need to get healthy. You need to get into a abiding relationship with Christ. You need to get in community with other people around you. And as gently and as compassionately as I can, I don't mean to say that to pick on you because that's, that's applicable to some of us in the room. Is the biggest concern I would have is that, that they're dating you. And you need to just say, man, I, I've just not been following what God says for me, but what the Bible lays out of the type of romance and love that is possible for me, the type of peace that can mark my home and my children could grow up in, I would love to have that. And God says, work and focus on your character. So the first quality, first red flag is if what attracts them is not their character. The second quality is when others don't celebrate the relationship. You see in verse four that the friends chime in and they say, we rejoice and delight in you, you too. We praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. More than wine or more than the party essentially that would be. Hey, better than any weekend party thing that we're getting together is this relationship. They had friends in their life being like, dude, this is amazing. You guys are better together than you are apart. We celebrate, we're all about it. Why do I say the word celebrate? Because the people in your life are not coming alongside and going like, I'm not just kind of neutral on you guys moving forward, but this is a great thing. People in your community group or your small group, people who are believers in your family or friends, people coming around being like, this is awesome, I support this. I support you dating him. He's the type of guy that I wanna date someday or that I hope uh, you know, my children end up dating. Oftentimes the inverse is true, where people in our life try to tell us like, hey, I'm just concerned he doesn't seem like that great of a guy or I'm not sure he's the right one for you and if that is things that you're hearing, you should be concerned. The Bible over and over says that God's provision and protection for us is other believers in our life speaking out the truth of what they see. Oftentimes, this leads people to go, to, to almost like buy this lie that's like, you know what, the world is just against us. Everyone's jealous of our love together, and they don't like it because, you know, they just can't have it, and it's so sizzly together, and I don't even care, and I'm, not, I'm disconnecting from everyone. This couple didn't do that. How do I know that? Because you can't celebrate what you don't see. And they had people in their life going like, this is a great thing. Are people in your life encouraging and celebrating the relationship, or are they concerned about it? And if so, you should be concerned. If you have believers in your life and you're dating someone, I wanna encourage you to ask them this, these two questions. Like in your community group, I wanna invite you to take advantage of what God says that plans fail for lack of counsel. Over and over the Proverbs say like, man, you gotta have wise people in your life speaking into it. So I wanna invite you, if you're dating someone and you're in a community group or you're in a small group or someday if you ever are, to invite them in and ask them this question. I wanna hear from each of you. Does anything that you see in my relationship with him or my relationship with her give you pause about us moving forward? Honestly. Does anything that you see in my relationship with him or in him or in her give you pause about us moving forward? Honestly. And invite them to speak in. And the second question being, do you think that we're good together? Do you think that we're good together? If you're in the room and maybe you're like, dude, I have a friend that is in a relationship, it just seems toxic, I'm concerned about them, I don't think he's a believer or she's a believer, it just, I, I, I like feel a burden that maybe I should say something, how do I do that? Here's how you do that. You go to them individually and humbly and prayerfully, you just say, man, he, can I just share with you what I see I'm concerned about Rob. I'm concerned about Jessica. I'm concerned about her. And here's the three things that I've noticed that could be wrong. Be open to the fact that you may be wrong. But just communicate. As someone who loves you and cares about you, is committed to seeing you flourish like I hope you are for me, I just felt like I had to bring this up because I'm concerned. I have so many friends or know so many people just in doing this for the last 10 plus years that they didn't have friends in their life that spoke those truths and everybody saw it. Because here's the deal, dude, most people like, we, we see it. It's not crazy where it's like, oh yeah, he, I saw that coming. And they ended up 
divorcing one another. It just entirely fell apart. And nobody ever told them the truth in that dating phase. And the, the worst thing you can do, candidly, is stop being the friend who, when you don't think a relationship is healthy, follow them on Instagram together and be like, oh my gosh, heart, 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 love this, when they post a picture of them two together. And you're like, yes, this is so beautiful. Oh, love it. I hope I get in the bridal party that you are not being a good friend. But you can be a good friend, but it involves you going if you see something and saying something. So that's the second quality is, is or second red flag you should have is if people in your life or other believers are not celebrating the relationship together. The third one is really almost personal, but the best way I know how to put it is a red flag of like whenever you are not okay or they are not okay being single. Why do I say that? Because one of the, uh, my favorite lines in this first chapter is what she says to the guy where she says, tell, tell me you whom I love, where you graze your flock, where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? She's basically like, hey, where you at, boy? I wanna come and be around you. What gym do you go to? I wanna go to that gym. Where do you live? I'm gonna you know, put myself in your presence. I want to be around you. And then she says, and I'm not just looking for any man. Why would I wanna be like a veiled woman that's a prostitute? She's basically like, hey, I'm interested in waiting for the right person, and if I don't find the right person, I'm not just gonna put myself out there among the flocks of your friends or among the flocks of other people. I'm looking and waiting for the right person. She was content with being single. It was okay if she wasn't in a constant state of being in a relationship with someone. Are you someone that is okay in this season of singleness? That you're allowing God to grow your patience, grow your contentment in him? You're allowing God to teach you and you're believing and seeking to trust, man, Jesus is enough, I'm okay. I'm not going from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship. Are you someone who's like, man, I've never been single for more than three months. And it may be that you're not okay being single. And that may be something that you need with other people in your life to evaluate. The second thing I love about this, that verse is it, um, it answers a question that so many girls ask all the time. One of the most common things that we got asked this week was like, hey, is it okay for a girl to show she's interested in a guy? And this woman would say yes. I mean, that's pretty forward where you're like, hey, boo, where are you gonna be? Because I'm gonna be there. And uh, I may just conveniently show up and be like, oh, I didn't know that you shopped at this grocery store, right? I, but I followed you here, so now I do. And uh, <laughs> this is great. Should we go in together? And uh, and he was reciprocated. He was like, girl, you know exactly where I shop at this grocery store. You followed me here. I saw it. I liked it, okay? And <laughs> that's what happened. It's like, it's catty and it's flirty and it goes back and forth. But she, <laughs> but she puts herself out there. And in some ways, I think that that's an okay thing. Generally speaking, guys, step up. There's a bunch of godly, amazing, beautiful girls in this room. Ask them out. But also women, I don't think it's inappropriate for you to uh, you know, put together an event and strategically try to put yourself in the presence of godly men. <laughs> Be like, hey, we're, we're going to the movies and I'm inviting these other four people so I can invite you. you Wanna ride together? And uh, I, think, I think there's some level where that's okay or throwing you know, it out on the radar. You probably should realize, and I'm gonna, I, I told, my team told me not to say this, but I'm going here anyways, because <laughs> guys are a lot less intelligent than you think. <laughs> so when you throw the event, yeah, clapped, good. When you throw the event, you're like, oh man, I'm totally putting myself out here. Like, hey, do you wanna, we go to the movies with all these people and we'll ride together. He's going, oh, I love that movie. That sounds great. I mean, when do you see Avengers? For real, you drive? I, I love to save on gas. This is cool. He had no idea. So you just need to know it's, and I know there's some guys that are picking it up in the room. I was not one of them. And uh, in fact, I don't know that I would be married if my wife didn't like throw herself on the radar out there to me where we were working at this Christian camp and, um, and I was teaching at the camp over, over a couple summers and, uh, and I remember she like wrote these different notes to me like just for encouraging and I didn't know her well. I knew that she, uh, we had gone to the same college and, and knew of her character, knew positive things but she wrote these notes and, and she was like, I was totally putting myself out there and I just read the note like, oh my gosh, that's so nice, she loved the message. That's amazing, this is great. And, uh, but it did put her on my radar in a way that only continued to grow from there. So all I have to say, point being, is it okay to strategically put yourself in the presence of godly men? Yes. Hopefully that answers your question. All right. <laughs> Moving on to red flag number four. When there is lack of clarity 
in the relationship, you should be concerned. When there is lack of clarity in the relationship, you should be concerned. This is a couple, and the guy leads well by defining who she is to him, both to her and to everyone else around her. What do I mean by that? On multiple occasions, like that mayor, where he brings up, hey, you're like the mayor of Pharaoh's chariots, or the mayor that pulls Pharaoh's chariots. What does that even mean? Well, the horses that would line whenever Pharaoh would go to war, he'd bring all the soldiers out, and they'd go out war, and they'd form this huge line of all the warriors together, and there would be black stallions that lined. It was an intimidating force. You'd see black horse, black horse, black horse, except for right in the middle would be Pharaoh, and he would be led by a white mare, a white female horse. So Solomon's basically saying, hey, you're like, you're like the only one for me. You're my bae. You're before anybody else. You are the only girl for me. Everything else, I'm not even seeing it. You're one of a kind. That's how I see you. And then she says that I am like a rose of Sharon and a lily of the valleys. It's an incredibly beautiful verse, uh, unless you actually study what that verse means. And what I mean is like a rose of Sharon was an incredibly common flower. Uh, and a lily of the valley was like very, very common. In other words, she's saying like, I'm nobody, I'm nothing special. I'm just kind of a commoner. I'm like a dandelion amongst a field of weeds. That's who I am. I'm nothing special. She's almost doing what I feel like girls still do today, where they downplay themselves in hopes that the guy would be like, no, you're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> Or girls are like, oh, my gosh, look at this picture. Oh, I just, oh, this is, oh, I look terrible in it. And you're hoping the guy isn't like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is not your color for sure. And it's okay. Everyone has bad hair days. I mean, yeah, you'll get him next time. You're hoping the guy is like, oh, are you serious? You look like Mona Lisa is put to shame right now. It's not that hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's not my notes. I apologize. That one got me. Okay. <laughs> I lost track of thought. But point being, you hope the guy is like, man, you are beautiful. That's what you look like to me. And luckily, our Don Juan responds and says, hey, this is who you are. You're not some lily of the valley. You are like a lily among thorns is my darling among all the other women. Like you are the only girl for me. Every other woman is like a thorn compared to this lily. That's how I see you, that he drives for clarity in the relationship with her. She does the same in her a comment about her myrrh being around her necklace. The myrrh would have been the most valuable thing and possession that she would have, and she'd be like, hey, this is this incredibly valuable thing to me. That's who you are, and you rest, and you are, as it were, resting close to my heart, this thing of incredible value. Uh, in a verse later, a couple verses later in, in chapter 2, verse 4, so two verses later, he literally says, hey, let him lead me into his banquet hall. Let his banner over me be loved. What does that mean? It's incredibly beautiful, whatever it means. But here's what it means. A banner over something would signify like this is uh, whose this is. Or it kind of designates like uh, this is who I am and whose I am. Like, like uh, similar to a flag. You know at the Olympics when all the teams come in and they carry the flags and they're like, oh, there's Jamaica and there's USA and there's just all the different teams. In the same way, when you went off to war, people would carry a banner and it would declare we're the nation of Israel, we're the people of God. And she's saying, hey, when I go in, it's like I went into his banqueting hall, the palace banqueting hall, publicly on display for everybody, and his banner over me was love. This is my girl. He was not ashamed to publicly display. This is my girl. He brought clarity to the relationship. The Facebook status was changed. He was willing to say, I'm in with this girl. I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, is essentially what he's saying right there. If you're in a relationship and the guy or the girl is unwilling and you've been dating for more than a couple dates or you've been dating for more than a month and they're unwilling to acknowledge publicly that there's something going on there, you should be concerned that you're not dating, you're getting played. Because a godly guy with character and a godly girl is going to fight to bring clarity to that relationship together. The clarity should mark the relationship together. Solomon did not leave her wondering one of the best things, as we've talked about so many times, guys, is you will set yourself ahead of the pack if you will just do this. If you want to be a guy who you're like, man, I want to wake up and be 10 points more attractive to women tomorrow, be a guy who leaves by removing confusion. Don't leave them wondering. Don't leave them going, man, where's this thing kind of going together? You bring clarity. I'd like to take you out. Then at the end of that date, if you want to continue moving forward, you say, I'd like to continue taking you on another date. I enjoyed our time together. I'd love to spend time getting knowing you. When you feel like uh, it's clear in your head you'd like to do that again or you'd like to spend more time, you sit them down or you call them or you communicate to them 
I would love to continue getting to know you in an intentional way. I'm not sure we're gonna get married. I'm not promising any of that stuff. I just would like to continue spending time with you. And you just tell and telegraph or you communicate, like, here's where I see this going. Is that okay with you? And girls, when they do that, you just, if you're not in, don't be like, uh, yeah, and then just ghost them and not ever respond. You say, I'm not interested right now. Thank you for honoring me in the way that you've communicated and spending time with me, but I'm not interested in moving forward. You communicate intentionally and drive for clarity in the relationship. You need to be intentional. At the same time, like, just don't be intense. Like, I also have had guys that feel like they need to telegraph every five seconds when they're with that person. Like, I am now going to sit down and use the salt here, and I would like to spend more time with you, and I have already chosen six children's names, if you would like. like just be intentional. You don't need to be intense. You don't need to be weird. Just be like, just consistently be like, here's where I see the relationship going, and then define the relationship. See the responsibility on you to define it. And women, bring clarity on those moments if you don't want the relationship to keep going. But if there's not clarity driven around your relationship, you should be concerned. You should be concerned. You shouldn't be spending, and I think the further implication would be like publicly, you should be declaring, if you're in a dating relationship, like it should be, uh, it should be no mystery to the world around you. Like I am with her, she's the one I'm spending time with. You're not texting other girls. You're not sliding into DMs and telling them like, oh, of other random people just kind of putting feelers out in case this thing falls apart. You're not posting a lot of comments on other girlfriends of like, man, just, you look so great. Good to see you. You know, hope, if you make it in town, love to catch up. You're not spending a lot of one-on-one time or maybe any one-on-one time with other girls. That you are bringing clarity to the relationship. And whatever clarity you have in that moment, you don't have to say like, I've, I've heard from the Lord, we're getting married. In fact, that's probably a miss. I'm gonna go ahead and say, is a miss, in my opinion, okay? The point being, bringing clarity as you have it. And, girl, and guys at the same time, and girls, respect when someone says, no, I'm not interested in moving forward. You should respect them. And if you don't listen to that, and you're unwilling to respect them, you are disrespecting them. And let me just, this isn't even in my notes, but let me just say this. The picture the Bible paints in 1 Peter chapter three about the way that you and I are to interact with, and I'm just talking to guys, with girls, is kind of terrifying. Where it says that God is like a heavenly father and he sees his daughters like any son sees their daughter. So you should see, like, man, you're not just treating this woman, you're responsible for how you interact and how you treat them. And you should see, you know that dad who sits on the front porch with like the shotgun, like, take care of my, boy, or, take care of my girl, son. That's how you should see a heavenly father. And you are accountable and responsible. Listen to me, you are accountable and responsible for how you treat them. And at the same time, women, you're accountable and responsible for how you interact and how you're honest with guys. So the fourth one was that. And the fifth one and final one, final red flag is when you are sexually compromising or when you're compromising sexually. Uh, She says this in verse three of chapter two. Like an apple tree, Among the trees of the forest is my beloved among young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Scholars disagree on what this verse means. So I'm gonna give you both, because it's rated R for romance. Uh, One interpretation, uh, the clearest thing is that she's at least saying, you're like an apple tree among all the other forest trees that are all normal, you're unique to me. And then the next verse, uh, scholars would disagree and say, she's either talking about looking forward to performing oral sex, Or she is uh, saying that I delight to be a part of the protection and provision that, you know, being under his tree brings me. And uh, and scholars will disagree across the board. You decide for you. But point being, we at least know she's getting all hot and bothered because the next couple verses say that she is looking forward to increasing amounts of sexual touch to come in marriage. Because she says this, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, I'm faint with love. Both of those are aphrodisiacs. King David, when his men came home from war, he literally gave out raisins and apples to his men saying, hey, eat these, go be with your wives, make some babies. And that's what he handed out. It was an aphrodisiac seen in that day. So she's basically going, oh my goodness. <laughs> man, I want this man. And give me, some, give me some apples and raisins. I'm faint with love. 
His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. And then she says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it's time or until it's so desires. What is she saying? Do not introduce sex before you can fully go all the way. Do not introduce sex biblically until you're married. That's what the word arouses means. I mean, there's a reason why we call it turned on. God designed you to be turned on in the context of marriage. You don't need to feel bad about that. You don't need to feel bad about having uh, sexual desire for the person that you're dating. That's called normal. But you should be aware that that's not something that you should allow to mark your relationship. You should be very cautious to not allow that turning on because you weren't designed to be turned on and then turned off. You were designed and God created sexual intimacy to be something that you experience, that the human body is wired to pursue that intimacy together. And she just says, hey, look, man, even though all these desires are here, we're not going there until we can go all the way, until we are married, the Bible says. And if you are compromising sexually, you should be concerned. It should be a red flag. If the guy that you're dating or the girl that you're dating is saying, I don't care what God says, I'm gonna do what my body says. I'm not gonna honor sex inside of marriage. What do you think is gonna happen someday when he is married? He's gonna immediately flip the switch and be like, now I honor sex inside of marriage? And the Bible says, man, do, do not arouse don't bring that into your relationship. Don't even put yourself in a position together where you're laying down, where you're spending time, where your body is beginning to prepare itself for sex. It was not designed and created to be that way. Here's why I think just this is so crazy to us, but so important. The Bible says, and it's so brilliant, dude, like God, in his infinite wisdom, he gave sex. He's all about it, dude. Like, here's, what, here's, what, uh, here's an answer to the question everyone wants to know all the time. Hey, where is the line? Where is the line? How far is too far? Where's the line? The Bible doesn't say there's a line. It says there's a time. It's less concerned about, oh man, this is exactly where the line is. It says, man, the, the line is we're gonna explore is pretty far out there. It's more concerned about when the time is and that's in the context of marriage for a couple reasons. One, sex was given as this powerful thing to glue a man and woman together. That they would become almost intoxicated and bonded together. It even says that sex is intoxicating and it's like getting drunk, the Proverbs say. In Proverbs chapter 7, verse 18. And the reason why that's so crucial is just like it's bad to drive after you're drinking, it is bad to date drunk in sex. And alcohol, probably, not even probably, yes, it's bad to date drunk too. But it's bad to be intoxicated in sex because here's, here's what it's going to do. It's going to keep you in a relationship longer than you should be in. It, it like, just like alcohol, it numbs your inhibitions of like, oh man, I was gonna go home, but now I'll just hang out for another party! And you just like quickly inhibitions go. So it is with sex. And it blinds you to like, man, there's character flaws. And it does what sex is meant to do. Like this is the amazing thing God's designed. It's like, I'm gonna give you this powerful thing that's gonna give you the ability to even overlook offenses because you love them so much. It's gonna pour this intimacy to bond you together where you're willing to bear with each other, which is amazing in marriage. It's not great when you are dating someone of really bad character. It's not date when you're dating someone and there's clear warning signs that, man, this is not someone that you should marry. But sex, it, just like you know, getting drunk on alcohol, you're getting drunk and it blinds you from like, oh man, this is, I'm no longer able to see as clearly. You're putting on drunk goggles as you're dating that person. And the Bible says, when it comes to the selection of who you're going to marry, other than worshiping God, what else is more important? And so introducing that is incredibly dangerous. The second thing, and reason why it's dangerous, is think about the just number of scars. Think about just the guilt and shame represented inside of this room. If you're engaging in sexual activity with someone that you're dating right now, and God has never wanted that for you, not because he's angry at sex or angry at you, he loves you. Think about just the scars that people carry uniquely from sexual sin. God didn't give instructions because he's like, man, I just don't want anybody to have fun with this. It's, are you kidding? We're about to dive in to all types of sexuality and, and uh, we're not going to save it for everything that they do in the book. It's very all about it. But that romance being in marriage and he gives instruction and context 
because this incredibly powerful thing that is sex is also incredibly destructive if used in the wrong way. It's like this. There was a couple months ago where in Dallas, there was a storm, and uh, it marked the, uh, it basically like ripped up all kinds of trees. Yeah, welcome to church. Uh, <laughs> it ripped up all kinds of trees in our neighborhood, and it tore down trees, and like, dude, it was just a mess. If you guys were here in Dallas, or you live in any of the neighborhoods, there's trees every single place, and, um, and while we were uh, looking, I basically was like, man, I need to get a chainsaw, one, because that'd be awesome, and two, because we need to cut back some of this brush, just as like we're living in a jungle right now. And so what, what happens when you get a chainsaw? Well, you go and you begin to examine and you put it all together and you, uh, you begin to look very carefully at the instructions that Home Depot gives you. Because you're like, one thing I know is I like my fingers. And uh, so I'd like to keep them. So I want to make sure that I have the right amount of oil, that I, I you know, use it in the right way, that I'm not careless with it, that I follow the instructions and I keep it away from the ability to cut off limbs. Because it's incredibly powerful but it's also very, very dangerous. And so just like in that scenario. This thing could tear through. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> I've prepared all day for this moment. And uh, this thing could tear through my leg. It also could remove brush and be an incredible Tool. And you know what I didn't think with Home Depot, and you know what nobody thinks with Home Depot, is they're like, instructions. These guys are a bunch of, you know, killjoys over here. Are you kidding me? I'm going to use this thing however I want to. Toothpick, juggle it around. I'll do whatever I want, Home Depot, you bunch of fun killers. No, I thought, yeah, I'm going to read every word and be careful, because this thing I know is incredibly powerful, and it is incredibly helpful and good when it's used in the wrong way, but it is incredibly dangerous when it's taken out of the context and used in a way that contradicts the creator's instructions. The Bible says, this is how sex is. God created it and he's all about it and he wants that powerful tool just like somebody at Home Depot wants you to use that chainsaw to cut through things and cut back debris. He doesn't want them to, or you to use it to cut off your hand. And so it gives instructions so God says, man, I want you to use and experience this incredible tool and gift, but I give instructions on how to best do and best experience that because I love you and I care about you. And I'll close here. In conclusion, things to focus on are red flags that you should be concerned about. If character is not something that's drawing you to the other person, you should be concerned. If others don't celebrate the relationship in your life, that should give you pause. If it was formed or is being formed in a season where you're not okay being single, you should be concerned. If clarity doesn't mark it and purity doesn't mark it, you should be concerned. My heart for this series is that you and I will begin to experience God's design for romance and love inside of your relationship. I, uh, I had Port's leaders, some of our volunteers that lead different teams over to my house and over Christmas break and, and had a Christmas party and did the whole white elephant here, tacky sweaters, Christmas party, everything was great. The whole night was going amazing. And I had a pyre, fire pit set up in the backyard where I was gonna have just fire and a, a moment where we'd come together, kind of family time all together. And I forgot that I just had wood and lighter fluid. And uh, I put the wood inside of there and I forgot to light that wood before everybody came out. So I was like, oh, I'll just light it while everyone's out here. And if you've ever lit in a fire, it takes some time to get that wood to actually burn unless there's a foundation of like kindling or other things that help it to burn and to continue to burn long-term. In other words, you can throw a lighter fluid on there, but it's up and then it's gone. Versus if you have the right foundation burning beneath it, it's gonna take longer, but it's gonna burn hotter and burn longer. The book of Song of Solomon is God writing to you, to me, to people everywhere. I want your romance in life to not be something like, it's up in a moment and then it's gone, but something that with the right foundation is gonna burn longer and hotter, more in a way that you want it to for the rest of your life, because he loves you. And what I hope for this series more than anything is that you, if you're dating, or maybe you, you just got out of a relationship and you're just walking through heartbreak and just all the horrific stuff that it is to break up. It's terrible. That throughout this series, you would not just be focused on, man, what are some of the red flags that I should be looking for, but you would be willing 
And even tonight, you wouldn't just leave here and focus on one individual or maybe those five red flags, but you would just say, God, I surrender. I'm waving the white flag over my dating relationship, over my life. I'm saying, God, I, I give it all to you. I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna do your way. I'm gonna date like you call me to. And I hope this series and our team is praying for this series to just unleash incredible marriages in the future of our country, incredible marriages inside of this room, that you would rise up and just say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender this to you. I haven't done it well. I've really messed up. I've, I've got all red five flags. I've got them here with me if you wanna see them. That, that no matter where you are in the room, you would say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender to God. I'll wave just the white flag. God, I wanna do it your way because he is crazy about you. The greatest love story that is contained in the Bible beyond Song of Solomon is the love story of God's love for you. He's madly in love with you. And I mean like insane in love. Like, like I'll, I'll close, we are coming in. I love my wife so much. I, I, you know what sometimes I think about? I think about I don't know what I would do if something ever happened to her. Both like raising children and you know, operating and also like I would be so heartbroken. I sometimes get sad about the day that we're ever separated if one of us dies first. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, there is no husband, there is no wife, there is no person who loves their spouse more than God loves you. How do I know that? Because he already went to the greatest length possible by sending his son to die in your place, by God becoming a man in the form of Jesus and giving his life for you. And his love for you was so great. And for us to think anything other than, man, I want to surrender even my dating life. I'll give it to you, God, because you're crazy about me. I know you're for me. You know what's best for me. I'm going to follow your instructions, knowing that you love me and you'll lead me in life. And I'm praying that some of us in the room, because a lot, maybe not even most of you are going to do it, but some of you guys are going to say, man, I'm going to do it God's way. Going forward, I'm going to date his way. We're going to handle sex his way. We're going to pursue marriage his way. It's the best way, and it's a way I can trust because he loves me. He's proved it. And any love I'm going to experience on this earth, if it's disconnected from that love, will not experience the fullness of the romance I was made for, which is a romance first with him and then that bleeds into other ones. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would, oh man, unleash the strongest marriages our world has ever seen from this group in front of me. I pray that children would be born to men and women in this room right now who love you, who know you, who walk with you, and they would raise those children to know you. I pray for any relationship here that needs to break up, that they wouldn't leave here covered in shame, they wouldn't leave here covered in guilt, but the Spirit of God would be heavy on their hearts, that sin would be confessed, and we'd move in the direction of your love. You've already, out of your love, moved in our direction and pursued a relationship with us. Father, would you bless our time this next six weeks? Would we learn? Would we grow? Would we be encouraged and strengthened of your design for romance? We worship you now in song. Amen.